0: Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you are in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. I didn't know what I was getting into uh, this weekend because of the forecast, and we live out in South Reno below the rim of Tahoe and those forecasts mean nothing because you can get 20% chance and get buried the next morning or 90% and get nothing. And so uh, we, I want you to know John Snyder and I worked very hard on a backup plan, or oh, two actually. One was I could come down on Saturday uh, and uh, just avoid the Sunday trip. And the other was a FaceTime thing. But I would have had to look at Dominique the whole time and I wouldn't have been able to see you if I want to look at Dominique all the time, I'll go to the dentist and get my teeth cleaned. (laughs) He's the guy that cleans my teeth, so he knows knows how dirty they are. Uh, I'd like to speak to you today a little bit about passion. Because passion is one of those uh, items that's been kicked around a lot in the last 20 or 30 years in the church and not necessarily uh, the spin that God has on it. We see things differently here in the West, as you know. uh, Not just the Western United States is different than the Eastern United States. And America is different from Europe. And we all have a little bit different spin on things. And passion is one of those topics, unfortunately, uh, that maybe gets misrepeated a little bit and uh, misunderstood with reference to our, our Christianity. And uh, so, anyway, I wanted to just talk a little bit about that. In fact, there was a teaching back in the 90s that went around, and it was about this thing, about passion, how oh, God ar- uh, arouses passions in you, passion in you to uh, find a place in the body of Christ. And, th- and that's, that's true. In and of itself, it's true. But the conclusion that people began to draw about passion was that God calls me according to my passions, which I get to decide. You see that little subtle thing that's, sort of embedded in that teaching and you know I and I've I've said this I'll probably say it a, another time or two but I know people people in ministry that have blown out because of this particular issue because they misunderstood something when God when when God came along and showed him what he wanted they didn't recognize it because they weren't listening they were so tapped into this other thing so let's just pray real quick and get ourselves Settle down here. Father, we want to hear what you have to say today. It's important to us, and we know that it certainly is important to you, or you wouldn't have set aside a whole day out of the week, not to mention the other six, where we can listen to you and uh, sort of bounce our thoughts and our expectations off of you to see what you have to say about our lives and the direction of our lives. So we just ask you to anoint our ears. Lord, we know the word is already anointed, but I pray that you would would, uh, empower it. Lord, as it goes out today, in Jesus' name. Now, if you would, why don't you turn to Psalms chapter 37. Uh, I didn't ask for anything to be projected or anything, because we're just doing one verse. Sometimes church is like a track meet, where you get there and you got to get through 15 verses to make a point. Well, I'm not going to do that to you today. I'm going to take one verse and just blow it up, so we can look and see what that one verse means and what, how it might actually apply to us. We have what I call refrigerator verses. If you were attending church when I was pastor, you heard about refrigerator verses a lot. And refrigerator verses are those kind that you see on your refrigerator. They're motivational verses. They're things to you put there. So the first thing in the morning, what do you see? As you go to open it, you see it. And uh, a lot of bad theology has come to us from our refrigerator verses. An example of that is Jeremiah 29:11. For well, I know the plans that I have for you, Seth. Well, that one's pretty universal. I think we could probably all agree that that would be a pretty safe one for most of us, the context of it that is. But there's Philippians 4.13 is another one. I can do all things through Christ's strength. In fact, that's a tattoo verse. If you, wa- <laughs> if you watch the NFL or, or Major League Baseball, I've got a favorite pitcher on a particular team. I won't say what team it is, but they wear blue and they live in L.A. <laughs> and uh, it's also the same team that's on the sound guy's son this morning. He's wearing those that logo, but one of their pitchers has it actually tattooed on his neck, and uh, I love that scripture, but you know that scripture has a context, and it doesn't have anything to do with striking people out? <laughs> the context of that verse, Paul's talking about, I know how to be abased, and I know how to bound, he's talking about having nothing, and having everything, and having it be all the same to me, because it's all God's plan for me, he's talking about the, the big picture, it has nothing to do with baseball, or anything, it's okay for him to have that verse, but that's what he's talking about. So we cherry pick these verses, and we stick them on our refrigerator, we tattoo them on our arm, we do those, and this, and this verse that I want to read to you from Psalms 37 is one of those verses, maybe more in the church than outside the church, you probably won't see this one on a baseball player's arm, but uh, it's Psalms 37, 3 through 5. We'll just read it, and I'm going to keep referring back to this first, because what we're going to do is we're going to take individual words and just... Talk about what they really mean and how it's kind of changed in our translation trust in the lord and do good dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness i like that feed on it verse four this is the big one delight yourself also and also means in addition to what you just read in addition to doing good and dwelling in the land delight yourself also in the lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart Verse 5, commit your works to the Lord, trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. Now, how many of you have, have heard that verse, or maybe you've read that verse, and where God was confirming something that you probably really wanted anyway? <laughs> and now, good, i got God to endorse me. <laughs> I, see, I see where you're going with this, Lord, and I like it. But again, um, you know, we, that's one of those verses you need to read real slowly. And if you have a, a concordance at home where you can look up the, the original meaning of a lot of these words, I really encourage you to do that. Just keep it handy when you're reading the Bible because sometimes words, you got to consider that Hebrew is basically a dead language brought back to life, surviving all these centuries, and now it's translated into different languages. So we've got all that plus we've got all of our own cultural stuff, all these words. That's the problem with the word, with the word passion. Uh, that's one of those kind of words. And so uh, just... To, to be, if you don't mind this being that kind of a sermon, I really just want to do that. I wanted to just take a few key words from these verses and look at it as it relates to my passion. So let's let's just read that kind of slowly. Delight yourself in the Lord; He will give you the desires of your heart. There's three key words there. I like them all so far. Delight, give. He's the one given, so I really like that one. And desires. Commit your works to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He'll bring it past so do you think he's let me just ask you something do you think he wants to give you the desire or the thing that's attached to that desire because we're talking about stuff now right <laughs> you can plug a lot of stuff into that and make it look really good it's all good for me if I think about that but but have you ever thought about that is he talking about the the desire itself or is he talking about the thing that's attached to the desire. And I can guarantee you, in about 90% of our cases, we look at that and think, it's the thing attached to the desire. Or is it? Hmm. Well, that's one of those words. And I want to just, let's just look at that word, the word delight. I'm just going to go back and, I got this sermon right out of my concordance. I just dug it out one word at a time. Delight yourselves in the Lord. And Strong's Concordance defines uh, that, that Hebrew word that comes forward to us is anag. Now if you've got little liner notes in your bulletin, this is what you can, you can write. You can impress your friends that you know some Hebrew. You can tell them you know a little Hebrew. He runs a deli in Sparks or something like that. But, <laughs> but that word anag, really, these are all just really interesting words. The primary root for that means to be soft and pliable. Now, if you think about it, that's kind of a leap from there to delight, right? Now, remember, this got filtered through some guys in 1612 that were translated. There, there's a, this went through a lot of people to get to us, so you've got to be open to seeing that maybe this word doesn't mean exactly what I thought it meant all along. The primary red means to be soft or pliable. How many of you have ever broken in a baseball glove? Okay, well, we've got one guy who knows what I'm talking about, a couple of them back. Marvin, of course. Marvin, in those days when he was playing, they they didn't have real gloves. They were just kind of like, you know, stuff Babe Ruth used and that kind of stuff. But when you break in a baseball glove, they have different kinds of gloves. There's gloves that you really want you to have a good feel, like a shortstop's glove, because he's got to get that ball out of his glove and get it second, second baseman, the, the middle infielders. And, but I got a glove a while back on Facebook Marketplace. Have you discovered that yet? <laughs> I, I live in Reno. There's a lot of stuff for sale up there. But I got a baseball glove when I was growing up and playing. I always wanted a Wilson A2000. That was a good glove. And what I got, what our family could afford were Rawlings. And those were also OK gloves, but it wasn't a, a Wilson A2000. The best kid in the league here in town had a Wilson A2000. And I wanted that glove so bad, and I never got it. Well, one came available. It turns out, as a plus, it belonged to a guy that pitched for the White Sox and the A's. And it was a glove he had. I think while well, he was with the White socks because the color—it's—it's it's gray. It's all the colors I wanted. It's got the kind of webbing I like. I don't even play anymore. I just want to have it. And so, <laughs> and and he was practically giving it away. The kid was moving and and in a hurry and and uh, so I went and got it. But the thing was still stiff. What was cool about it—he he he'd used it obviously, but it wasn't really really broken in. So I did the whole thing. I called one of my. One of my boys that had played ball, I said, what would you do to break in gloves? It's been a long time. He said, go buy some Burma shave. (laughs) It's Really cheap stuff that nobody, if you want to break, get your neck to break out, get Burma shave. (laughs) And uh, put it on your glove, put two or three balls in the glove, and then wrap it. Wrap it with the big bungees you buy for that purpose. And you put it for 280 degrees for so many minutes, you're just about to melt the rubber bands and then get it out and the, it'll be broken anyway I did that several times. I did everything I could think of short of running over it in my car, which I've done that too with, with other gloves because that thing as good as glove as it is, without it being broken in, it just isn't any good. It just isn't any good and I think I thought about that when I was when I was studying this and saw this word on I said that's exactly what it's like. You see, my wife got so tired of me sitting in the living room doing this, throwing a baseball, and he says, could you go do that somewhere else, please? Which I did, because I'm that kind of husband. But it's it's kind of a painful process for the glove, and it's a very time-consuming process. Now, what does that have to do with delighting yourself? So let's go back and plug that into the verse. I like to do that, get a word, and then go back and plug it in. Delight yourself, but instead of that, let's say, make yourself soft. And pliable, in the sight of the Lord. Hmm. You know, we have to want him so bad that we're willing to do anything to be usable. That glove wouldn't have been a whole lot of good to me if I wouldn't have broken it in. Still isn't, because I don't play baseball anymore. But uh, I've got something for my grandson, I guess. But you've got to. There has to be a, a break-in period, and I got news for you. It's your whole life. <laughs> It isn't just a month here or, or there out of, uh, pulled out of, out of your busy schedule. But that's the cool, the delight part of it. You're doing this in the Lord. Delight yourself. Make yourself soft and pliable in the Lord. If you're soft and pliable for everybody else, you'll be used your whole life. But if you want God to use you, you've got to plug that in. Number two, and he will give you, really like this word, the desires of your heart. This one is a little more subtle. Because the word give, uh, from your Strong's, that's 5414 as a reference if you have a Strong's concordance. Notham is that word. It has a pretty wide array of meanings, which different ways of expressing the word give. But there was one that really stood out. And that word means to assign or appoint, not just give. Like we would use the word give, like a Christmas morning giveaway kind of a thing. He will assign you, if you plug that in, he will assign you the desires of your heart. Now, do you think he's talking about the desire? Well, just go back to that question we asked a few minutes ago, or the thing attached to the desire. He's talking about the desire itself, not not the fulfillment of it, because this is a process. And as long as you're in this verse, you're in the process. He will give you or appoint you or assign you the desires of your heart. He's got to be talking about the desire, not the thing attached to it, or he wouldn't put it this way. Why would he assign you something that you've to give you? It's got to be in your heart first, right? And it does. And, and he's real good about putting things in you and then introducing you to that thing later on after he's done with the process. Number three, the word desire. We've defined delight. Plug those two words in. Let's go back. Make yourself soft and pliable in the sight of the Lord, and he will assign you the desire of your heart. The word desire, let's look that thing up, see what that means. That's in, out of the, that same concordance, is mishalah. It means a request or petition. A request or petition. doesn't sound much like desire, the way we would use the word, does it? The desire of your heart. It's talking about prayer. Talking about those things that you have, have longed for, and have prayed about, perhaps maybe it stirred you to do something. I got a personal example I'll bring up a little, little bit later, but the whole point of being a Christian is, I need to be changed. It isn't just so I can come to church and change my culture; as I had this tree culture, and now I got a church culture. The whole idea behind it is, I want to be changed. I mean, what what are we doing here? You know, what are we doing here every Sunday? if we don't want to be changed. And our whole life is about that. It's a spoken request from my heart to God's heart based on something he has already assigned to us for which we have made ourselves pliable to receive. You know, you ever think about what Jesus even being in the sinless state that he was? Remember what he prayed in the garden? Lord, not my will, but yours. Because he knew what was coming. You, you know what was going to make him pliable that next day? wasn't a good day. For us, it was a great day. For him, it was a terrible day. Because he knew that his whole life was coming to that, that conclusion. But even he recognized the, the Father's will. Not that he was going to step out of line because he was sinless. And he, and he maintained that throughout this process. But at that time, he had to stop and say, Father, you know... Maybe I'm not seeing this thing clearly. Maybe there's another way out. Maybe, maybe this could be an Abraham and Isaac kind of thing where you just wanted to see if I was willing to do it um, or, or, or what. You know, and, and, and for that matter, do you think it's kind of weird that that whole last week and you read the book of John, much of the book of John is about the passion? You ever notice that? Why do they call it that? What a weird name for a, several days of the week that have to do, do with getting the daylight beat out of you in public being stripped naked in front of your friends and family, cursed, having a crown of thorns rammed down on your, your head so you can't see for your own blood, and then having you been strapped to a cross and then nailed to that cross. What, what's, where's the passion in that? Who has the passion for that? I don't. <laughs> but yet it's been called that throughout the centuries. When they talk about the passion, they're talking about those last, you know, that crucifixion, resurrection, that whole time from the garden forward. Uh, very interesting. Even Jesus knew that the Father's will would be more important than his own, and he was sinless. The, you know, the Amplified Bible and that, that word desire, it says desires and secret petitions. And the Amplified, what it does, if you don't know what the Amplified Bible is, that's a study Bible. That takes some of these words and just blows them up, and, and d- does what I'm doing here, and does pretty much uh, hundreds or thousands of keywords. But even they're a little bit weak in some of these. But, but but this Bible picked up, and it says your desires and secret petitions. These are things that you have prayed about. They're not just something that just occurred to you the other day. God's probably put something in you, and there may be a level of frustration because you don't know what to do with it yet. We, we, our idea of giving is that just that, you know, I'm there, God, you know, I know per, God, you promised to give it to me, please give it to me. But that's not the way he operates. If he gave us what we wanted, he'd kill us. I mean, if we got everything that, that we have prayed for, I'm talking about material things and opportunities and all that, because his timing is, is absolutely impeccable, as you'll see in a minute. what about all these guys in the Bible? You ever read about Hebrews chapter 11? It's called the faith chapter. We, we refer to it as that. You've got all these guys in the Old Testament who did all these ridiculously impossible things, but yet, for whatever reason, you know, they did, they had enough faith to do those things. They never saw the Messiah that they had heard prophesied about and had read about in the, in the law, in the, the law and the prophets, but yet they hung in there to the very end. So, look at a couple of these guys. Every person that's mentioned, uh, starting with Noah, it goes back a long ways. Uh, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, you know their story. Moses, Gideon—they were all called to do something that was virtually impossible. One by one, look at them for a minute here. Noah, do you think he had a passion to be a carpenter? You imagine the, just getting the wood on site to build that thing—wood that wasn't like really close by either. Get that, and not only that—you're an old man at this point. You already, and it's going to take you a long long time to build it and the whole time your your own career goes on hold you know you're trying to feed your family and this involves your whole family so they've got to think you're not nuts to know that you hear heard God as clear as you did and then you became a sailor <laughs> You look at the dimensions of the uh, ark and I remember talking about this a long time ago when a sermon came up I don't know what I was thinking but I brought it up that uh, you look at the dimensions, how many cubits wide, by how many cubits deep, by how many cubits long, it's the, the perfect size and shape to float. Naval engineers have looked at that chapter and go, wow, how do you know that? Because that's the perfect dimensions to, for a, a, a big boat just to be buoyant, can't steer it, can't do anything with it, didn't have a rudder, just made for floating. It was just made to be an arc of protection, but yet somehow Noah divinely knew that. You know how he knew it? He knew it by faith. He knew it by faith. You can know things by faith a lot more clearly than you can know something by knowing it in your head. It's a different kind of knowing. But look at that and he, and all those years, he saved our civilization. We wouldn't be here without Noah. And those boys are his. He got into some weird stuff later on, but I mean, I'll, I'll leave it there. Or about Abraham's passion. You know, that this was a, this is a good one. If you're up a retired age like I am and, and older, and there are people here that are my senior by quite a ways even, who have served the, the Lord their whole life, know that sometimes you have a desire or a passion that may be God. And anybody that's been a Christian a long time can tell you this. It could just be that your passion is just out of time. His, his passion what, what, and his desire, to. I mean, in those days, if you didn't have a kid, that there was no... Social Security, no retirement, none of that kind of stuff. Your kid was all of those things in those days. And Sarah, you know, her time had come and gone to be able to have kids and and all of that. And then God said, guess what? You're going to have a kid. And then they're thinking, well, you're about 70 years too late, aren't you? Right? In those days, women started having kids at 14, 15. It was not exactly like it is today. But yet, God aroused a passion. It could be a passion that's been in you a long time. You just gave up on it absolutely said, ain't going to happen. And it may or may not, but God can do that. A desire that has died, if you have a desire that's that's in you, you feel like it just kind of died and you never knew what to do with it, and sorry about that, maybe go back and revisit that. Maybe God's got a little more to say about that than than what you've been thinking uh, all of these years. But think about the faith it must have taken in Sarah, going, I'm going to have a child? How am I going to nurse that child? I mean, everything about this it had to have supernatural provision. But, but that's also the thing about these guys we're reading about. Supernatural belief will require supernatural vision, and that supernatural vision will give you the, the provision for that. Those things are all attached. They're, every one of them is attached. Or, or uh, Moses. Pick up Moses' story in Exodus. He's on the lamb. <laughs> Moses don't want to be caught. Because he had lived in the house of Pharaoh, raised, uh, of course, as a Hebrew who knew he was different from everybody else. I'm sure at some point time Pharaoh had to have the talk with him. Well, son, we found you down in the river floating one day. Uh, there were some bad things happening. I'm not going to mention how that came to be uh, to your fellow, uh, your, your, your countrymen. You were a baby. Your mother loved you enough to say, Lord, protect him. So she made basically an ark that put him in the, the bulrushes and floated him off there. But, but just think about that for a minute, and God begins to deal with him about this time. He's gone to another land, got married, he's just kind of lived in the wilderness, and, and that, that Hebrew thing in him starts to rise up and say, you know, your people, you remember those days. Your people are, are enslaved, your people long to be free, and, I, and you're the one to lead them out of that. And he's thinking, okay, when I left, I killed a guy, I buried him, some guy saw it. <laughs> he had a lot of reasons to not go back there. Yeah, I mean, crazy, bad situation there. But God called him to go back, and God said, no, I'll take care of all that. You need to go back because you're going to make a pronouncement to Pharaoh. You're going to say, remember me, I'm back. And those guys that you have working for you, building the pyramids or whatever they were doing, they need to be free, and I'm just the guy to do it. And, of course, God, as Pharaoh hardened his own heart at one point, God just said, uh, God hardened his heart to finish it off. And after a whole bunch of plagues and all of that, guess what? They went free. But, but think about it. You, you know, Moses, you might be thinking about what Shalene was talking about a few minutes ago. It's not exactly on the scale of going back to, back to Egypt. But God asks you to do something that, that uh, you have more reasons to not do it than you have reasons to do it. But yet that little voice is going, yeah, do it. <laughs> Sorry about that. My experience with being a Christian is just about the time. I, mean, when, I le- when I left here in, in uh, New Year's Eve of 2016, I guess it was, was it, 17? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm losing. I can't remember it. I felt like I was just starting to feel competent as a pastor, and God's going, yeah, let's do something else. <laughs> <laughs> I just was starting to feel like myself again but that's the common thread between all these guys and one more Gideon what do you remember about Gideon's story he wasn't raised in a military family he didn't yes sir and no sir people in fact when they found him he was hiding he was hiding down in the, the wine press because he didn't want the guys to catch him and they were, they were overrunning their land but when the angel of God spoke to him remember what he said <laughs> he said Gideon you mighty man of valor <laughs> He's down there hiding. Like, <laughs> I didn't think you saw me, but God speaks to you based on what He sees in you, not what you see in yourself, and not what other people see in you. He sees that promise and that word, that desire that He's implanted in you. That's what He sees, and sometimes it seems like that's all He sees. And He calls according to that. That to me, that was the whole sermon. There was that angel talking to him, in you mighty, and, and of course, as you know, he became one of the mightiest tactical and strategic captains of that whole part in human history with no experience at all because God called him to do it. Isn't that interesting? Interesting, interesting. The New Testament's full of these guys as well. And uh, this, uh, what comes to my mind, of course, is Saul, who became Paul. His passions were so radically changed that God had to blind him for three days and change his name. You're not going to be Saul anymore. You're going to be Paul. Of course, we refer to him as the Apostle Paul, the changed version of him. But there was a whole process. You know, Paul got separated for a long time where God could talk to him. All these guys, we see the finished product, but you need to go back and see how they got there. And Saul was a good example. Of, anyway, the New Testament film, the Old Testament. My, in, in my experience, uh, my, my dad and I used to go down to the hospital. How many of you feel like God's been talking to you about going down to the hospital? Hey, they're always happy to see you down there. And they are. And I didn't really want to do it because it was on Sunday afternoons. It was just one time a month. But we had to deal with the other churches, and uh, we all did a, a place in the rotation. would go down there and do a little service for them. And this is after church on Sunday. I don't know about you. When I'd go home from church. I was tired. I'd be down in the basement with kids, you know, beating my guitar down there and then teaching them, then coming up here, beating the guitar some more, and then doing all of that. And I was ready to go home. Sometimes there's two services, too. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of fun from where I was sitting, from the uh, work aspect of it. But I wanted to do something with my dad, because my ministry didn't overlap with his the same way that my brother Tom did. Tom had more experience with dad on that level. And I felt like I needed to do it, and I, I didn't want to do it, but I did it. I went down there, and month after month we would see these people, and you don't want to be reminded that that could be you someday. So no, no kid in his 20s wants to see that and be reminded of that. But I did it, and I did it, and I did it. And then uh, I got old enough to, to be an associate pastor here, and my brother would take off and go to Guatemala or something, and every time there'd be a death, it seemed like. And guess who gets to do the funeral? That was one thing I avoided, because uh, growing up, and we grew up in parsonages often that were really close to the church, like this one over here, for example. And uh, that's a bad, kind of a bad deal, but, and uh, you couldn't get away from it. It seems like the, the, just the whole sickness and being old and death and all that, and this is just something I w- was really trying to avoid when Tom would leave. I couldn't avoid it because there wasn't anybody else here to do it. So I find myself doing, doing funerals, something else I didn't have passion for. But, you know, somewhere along in that process, when I became pastor, and I resisted a lot of stuff early on that I just regret, now, just because it was so uncomfortable, I just didn't, didn't like doing it. And, uh, and I did that to my own shame a few times. But God began to change my heart in the process. In this particular case, I had to, just, I had to do it in order to. It's like steering a parked car. You can't, you know, it's not going to work. You, if the car's rolling, it's simple, easy to steer it. And I was doing it, and I, and I didn't enjoy it. But something in me began to change. And I think it was one day I was at the hospital and just praying with somebody, and I saw that it really made a difference in their life. It made not just in their day, but it made a difference in their life, and I started to realize that I kind of enjoyed it, of all things. And, and sitting down with families to do funeral services, got one coming up here in a week. You know, um, I, I needed to be changed. God needed to change me in order to make me, you know, that whole pliable thing was what was happening. I didn't recognize it at the time. But that's what was happening, and I got to where, when a a funeral came up, I didn't dread it. Like like I used to, all those emotions and things, and just oh, I just I just hated that. I remember one time uh, we had a a funeral here in the church. I was about 11 years old, and uh, (laughs) this is a story of my brother. I don't even know my brother Tom. Okay, well, (laughs) we had had a, a service in the church that day. And uh, the the, th- the thing of it was, my dad's office was in the back where that restroom is, and and he used to write with an ink uh, with an inkwell, and a, he liked those old pens. And he sent my brother Tom because he was the oldest, fortunately for me. He said, "Tom, would you go over there and get my inkwell for me?" And Tom didn't want to do it because he was kind of creeped out too because we just had a service in here, and. Uh, so he came in, and now in those days, the lights, that, those lights weren't there. Those lights were, I think maybe one of my people did that. I can't remember when we did that. But it was dark. When you came in here, it was darker than the inside of a cow. It was dark. And he would walk in here. And uh, so what we did is we had, to <laughs> we had the number of steps counted out to here. I think it was 11. And then take a right and walk down that aisle. This before we went to three sections and then back to two, like we have now. And uh, it, I think was a military funeral, and they, they carried out the, um, the remains, and <laughs> and Tom didn't know that. He was just pacing, and he walked right into the thing that they that they rolled, rolled the casket on. <laughs> the beer, because they, apparently they carried them out, the pallbearers carried the, the person out, and the funeral director didn't come back and get it because the building was locked or something. And Tom hit that thing going at a pretty good speed and rode it all the way to the wall that used to be there. Used to be a wall here with a big pocket window that would open up. And he didn't, it took a few seconds to realize what he had done. (laughs) He came walking back with his eyes wide. (laughs) We, uh, yeah, that was uh, one of Preacher's Kid's stories. But that's the, that's the association I had with that kind of thing, is I just don't want to be around it. But you know what? It'd be so good for you, because somebody needs is going through that right now. And they could use somebody to do that. Are you, are you willing to do that? You know, Maybe it's not a deal with you, and you don't have to go through the soft and pliable process. But I can tell you, in my heart, God changed my heart towards that. He just did. I was the one that needed to be changed. It wasn't that nobody else was available. I needed my heart change because I was preaching stuff that I wasn't doing. But once I did it, I found out, you know, this isn't so bad. And God showed me insight, and then I developed relationships with those people. I, you know, I'll follow up. I still send text messages to people I buried their dad or something five or six years ago. And I'll think about them and send them a text. Hey, you guys doing okay? That, you know, God changes you on the inside, so you're genuinely interested in, in these kind of things. And I have a feeling that there's a bunch of situations like that here this morning that God would just love to interrupt and just say, you know, I've got other stuff for you to do, you got to, but your desires aren't right. <laughs> your desires are not right. I guess what I'm trying to say is your passion has got to be for Jesus. It's got to be for Jesus, not for activities or talents or whatever... Uh, May, you may count as a passion. It's not his job to validate all my, all my passions. Our passions need to be sanctified, or they're useless to him. That's what sanctified means. You pick something up that was ordinary and maybe kind of useless. You put it aside and say, I'm going to use this from now on. And that's what he does with us. But, but they've got to be sanctified first. And again, I know people, this is serious stuff, because I know some people that have actually bombed out of ministry because they didn't recognize what God put in front of them. And they thought, I don't have any desire to do that. can't be me. I think God's maybe speaking to some people about the hospital today. If he is, you can tell me about it later. Now, one more time, back to Psalms 35 or 37, that last verse. Commit your ways or works to him, and he will bring it to pass. The desires of your heart, of course, those are the things that he's going to bring to pass. But they have to be shaped. That word commit doesn't mean anything like the way we, we, we use it. The word that's used there, commit, It's this is of all these words, to me, I'm a word nerd, so I like to look things up. But that word, commit, of all these words, that's the most interesting one for me. It means, uh, the, the word is galal, like G-A-L-A-L, galal. And uh, a lot of things in the Bible are, are, are play off of that. The word Golgotha, is, they think, is related to that. Rit goes back to that Galal. Uh, Galilee, is another word, that, but it had to do with a circuit. A circuit, and uh, that meaning got extended to roll. These Bedouin societies had, would use move everything by camel. And if you ever worked with a camel, you've got to know what you're doing with a camel because they can really, they're like a goose times 10, it can be really mean. But the people that work with them, what they would do is they would train them. When they'd get to the end of their journey, they'd get down on their haunches so that you could get to whatever it was you had strapped to their back, that burden that it had been carrying. They would untie it, and they would train. I don't imagine it would take a lot of training because camels are kind of lazy, they say. But as they're leaning down, they would undo the, the burden, and the camel would lean to one side, and that burden would roll off. The thing they're carrying roll on the ground, so you could go do whatever you're going to sell it or whatever you were going to do with that. Well, that was the word that they would use was to roll that thing off. Now, what does that look to you in commitment? Commitment isn't about you. You, Lord, you're going to make me do this hard thing. I got to commit to do it. I got to commit to do it. I got to commit. It's not like you psyching yourself in. What committing is is letting it roll off of you. Get that burden off of you. You didn't. Ex- it, expect you to carry that thing forever. A lot of people are carrying burdens that they don't have to, shouldn't be carrying because you're not equipped to do it. Really interesting word, huh? Committing is the process of unburdening ourselves of your own desires, your own struggles, and giving them to the Lord once and for all. says he has a, a yoke, but relatively speaking, it's easy. He has a burden, but his burden is light. That's how that pliable thing, if you expand it to its conclusion, that's what it is. It gives you something, and you go, Lord, I can't do this. And he goes, exactly. Get down on your haunches and roll it off. <laughs> let, let me have it. So I just want to pray for a minute. We have a, a communion coming up here pretty quick. I think The kids all need to be commended, because this is one of the quietest family Sundays I can ever remember. So good job, parents. I don't know, maybe you... Got him, I was just going to say, that was the word I was searching for right there. (laughs) But we're going to pray, and after we pray, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, and uh, while this is being prepared, uh, they'll lead you in another song. But we want to rethink our path. Let me ask you something, have you ever missed an opportunity to serve because it didn't look like your passion? at the time? Because I have. And you don't realize it till later when you're thinking about, you know, I just missed a good opportunity <laughs> right there to do that. Don't miss out on what, this is a note I took in writing to myself when I was putting this together. Don't miss out on what God has for you because you are expecting something else. Don't be in bondage to your own desires. Don't be in bondage to your own expectations or what expectations others have put on you. That's how this works. So, Heavenly Father, we want to rethink everything that's important to us right now, Lord, and just continually be offering those things up to you to rethink our passions. Lord, and and we ask you to uh, reshape some things in our hearts, Lord, that need to be reshaped. Father, we ask you to sanctify those things. And that's not just a religious word. That's an actual word that you use a lot. Take these things, Lord, sanctify them by the washing of water, by the word, Lord, that we would constantly have your word running through our hearts and running through our heads so that when we think your thoughts, Lord, we're already on the right track. Lord, sanctify them. And, Lord, we just make a commitment to do what you tell us to do. And, Lord, what we're saying there is help us to listen. We need to listen. We need to listen better than we've been listening. Lord, we also pray that we not be in bondage to our own desire, our own expectation because we've got this thing so uh, set in our mind about the way things are going to go. Lord, and, uh, Lord I, I just ask you to do that, Lord, for, for that one that's in that position. Lord, for the one that's had a desire that's long since go, the trail's gone cold and you don't feel like uh, that, that that can be fulfilled at this point. Lord, if it's an Abraham and Sarah thing, Lord, I, I ask you to reactivate old passions, Lord that have had some shaping already done to them. Lord, get a hold of us. Get a hold of us. Lord, I like the picture of the camel leaning over and rolling that thing off. Lord, that's what you do when you ask us to take something that appears to be so heavy, you just ask for it right back. Lord, we roll those things off to you. We pray for people with kids and concern for kids today. Lord, I got them too. Lord, we roll that off to you. Again, we roll that back to you, Lord. You gave them to us. Lord, you weren't surprised by them, whether they were planned or not, it didn't surprise you. Not one little bit. So, Lord, we roll them back to you. We can't handle it. And so we ask you to take it for us, Lord. That's what you've done all along as you've taken it for us. You took our sin for us because we couldn't deal with the consequences. Lord, you've taken every burden that we've ever had. Lord, if we've borne it alone, it's only because we haven't rolled it back to you. Lord, we do that today. Lord, and we read your word with confidence that when you say to make yourself soft and pliable in the Lord that he will assign you the petitions of our heart, the prayers that have been gone out. Lord, and we commit our works to you one more time to give them back to establish us, Lord, as the people that you have called us to be, the people that you want us to be. Father God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at EarringtonVisionFellowship.com and we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.